What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm here today with Peter and also, I'm going to use this, by the way, our esteemed guest, because Peter always makes fun of me when I say esteemed, but this guy is is easily a very esteemed guest, uh, Dr. Simon Chard, coming all the way from across the pond in London. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Very well. Awesome. Your practice is in London, correct? I didn't misspeak or uh, it, uh, or it's not in London. I'm sorry. Uh, it's kind of on the outskirts, near Heathrow. Okay, got it. So for, for the average American, if you're from England, you're from London, just so you know. That, yeah, that's the, I'm, def- that I'm shows, definitely from London. Though. There's only yeah. one city that we know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> in England is from London. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, good to have you here. Um, appreciate you making the time to talk to us. I've been watching and admiring what you do, um, not only for dentistry, but for on a personal level for many, uh, for many years now. And uh, I want to thank you for your open transparency and your um, desire to improve the profession. It's really uplifting. And um, I, I'm always watching your Instagram stories and feeling really good about what you post. And so I want to thank you for that, for being like a beacon of light in, in our profession. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Well, same so, to you guys. I'm, 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 a, I'm a long-term fan of your podcast, and I think it's, uh, it's awesome what you guys are doing. Thank cool. you, buddy. Thank you. Simon, are most of your followers, I see that you've got a pretty significant stack of uh, followers on Instagram. Would you say it's more patients or from an influencer standpoint or more a lot of dentists? Because you've got about 25,000 Instagram followers just alone. Yeah. What would you say the breakdown um, is? I've always tried to pitch my content at both because there's benefits Smart. Uh, for me in gathering new patients through Instagram, which I do a lot. Almost all of my new patients come from across the country and sometimes across the world uh, through Instagram. And then also from a key opinion leader and a, a business point of view, interacting with other dentists is, is very beneficial. And it also, for me, it allows me to give a lot back to my profession because I get yeah. loads of young dentists um, DMing me, asking questions about career pathways and issues that they're having. And I, and I really enjoy that opportunity. I mean, that's the thesis of Bulletproof too, is you really kind of why Craig and I started. It was just, you know, paying it forward, giving it back. We all stood on the shoulders of giants. Um, Let me ask you, how long have you been out of school? When did you graduate? 2012. 2012. Okay. So you've been eight years. years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's Man, incredible. You've made a lot of strides in eight years. Boy. I know. I, I, I meet all these young dentists like yourself and I'm like, yeah, damn. Craig, what have you been doing, doing your whole career? Craig? Yeah. You've been IP, literally just, IPR. Oh, just nothing. It's been, yeah. Just been floating, floating through life, Craig. It's all you've been well, doing. Well, listen, if we're going to upwardly compare ourselves, we have to downwardly compare as well. So you got to, I, I mean, it's incredible what you've accomplished. And I just want to go over that because uh, there might be some U.S. listeners here that don't know who you are. Maybe they've been living under a rock, but you're the co-owner of Rothley Lodge Dental, which is a multi-generational dental practice. So you and I share a history with that being that our grandfathers and our fathers were both dentists. And uh, from what I understand, you still work with your dad, as do I, which is pretty cool. And wife. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that's awesome. Wife, yeah. And then what you kind also, of scope, what kind of, sorry, Craig, keep going. Sorry. Oh uh, yeah. I got to keep going. This is this, I'll make this it quick. Official I won't, intro. I, it's not my official <laughs> intro. I just want people to know. I don't want them to have to like learn through like Googling. Yeah. 
So also, um, and, and, uh, the reason why I gave you the esteem title, though, Pete says, I dole that out quite easily. Um, <laughs> you're also the scientific director for the British Academy of cosmetic dentistry, which is super cool. And a co-owner of Parla toothpaste tabs. I'm going to uh, fight plastic one, one tube at a time with a tablet form of toothpaste. That's awesome. So we'll unpack all that later, but now Pete has a question right for you. Go for it. No, I just wanted to get a size since you work with your wife, multi-generational, I'm going to get a size and scope of, of your practice. Um, you know, are you more boutique? Are you more like Craig and more hospital kind of like all things under one roof? Like, uh, yeah, I want to get some, some scope. So, uh, my parents owned the practice for 35 years before we took over. Mm -hmm. Um, so they pretty much bought it six months before I was born and grew it from a, a single handed practice to a five surgery practice. And then my wife and I took over in 2017 and we, at that point, grew it to a all things under one roof type model where my parents had a very good sort of family based dentistry. Um, but they would refer out anything, um, more complex. And so we brought in an endodontist and an, uh, a periodontist and orthodontist. I do cosmetic dentistry and implant dentistry, um, brought in all the digital stuff. So we're now seven with seven surgeries now, um, with a sort of, um, pretty much everything under one roof. When you so say surgeries, bit, that means yeah, op operatories. Yeah, I'll I'll do the British. Yeah. I'm going to do the British to English <laughs> translation if you don't mind, because I, hey. I enjoy that. I enjoy that. I want to do that. I'm sorry, yeah. Brit British British to American, British to American. We speak American. We don't speak English. They speak English. Yeah. So so you're a little bit more like us with uh, like me with all the specialty floating through. You know, that's kind of the same um, tangent I went off on. I came to the practice and I was frustrated that the lab was outside the office and then I had to send people to different places. And I had that dream to have what we created in, in school and university um, with everybody under one roof and that um, academic approach to dentistry. So that was the genesis for me as well. Yeah, I think the, la the next stage for me is the lab. That's the, the one component that I'm missing. I, I have, I have uh, three CEREC scanners including the prime scan and i i do a lot of in-house uh, milling and chair side fabrication and that sort of thing but to have that in in-house lab would be uh that's my next next port of call yeah Br brazil is almost <laughs> empty now by the way it's almost, <laughs> it's almost all the techs are in america <laughs> right right just go just go to like la or new york and get one uh, yeah. no, that's a joke. That's the thing, though, and that must that must be hard. I, I've worked in a practice with an in-house lab before, and we really struggled to keep the the technicians would get better and better and better, and then you'd get to that sweet spot where it was just amazing, and they'd come in and they would just everything would drop in perfectly, and then they would want more money, and they would go somewhere else, and they'd set up their own shop, and it, it was it was a bit of a conveyor belt in that in that way. So I'd love to hear how you've managed to hang on to good techs if you found that easy or well, not. <laughs> we, had, we had this one guy who was literally amazing. So, so Freddie's been with me for like 10 or 12 years, maybe, yeah, 12 years, just gifted, wow. gifted. Like, I mean, uh, the most beautiful ceramics ever. I mean, it, it, much like what we see on Instagram, like when you see like, you know, one of Alpha's cases or something like that, he has that touch, but he's a traditional lab tech. He doesn't, he never embraced the digital workflow. So I brought in another guy, named Enrique and Enrique studied under Freddie, but translated everything Freddie did and turned it into a digital workflow. And he got better and better and better. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And now he's like on Spanish TV shows, like making teeth wow. for, I mean, I'm proud of what he's done, but um, you know, but he's, he's, he's on his own now. So um, yeah, I think that's just a natural thing. I, I um, 
there's just an economic impact of being a technician for two or three providers and what they can make versus being a technician for 50 providers and what they can make. Um, And there are certain providers out there. There are certain dentists that produce like 50 themselves and they can, that's a different story. They can keep people, but um, yeah, it's, it reminds me of that uh, um, um, Richard Branson quote is this uh, teach people so well that they could leave you, but treat them or teach people, teach people everything so that, you know, that they could leave you, but treat them so well that they don't want to. I, I know I butchered that, but it's, you get the point. You get the point. Yeah, sure. So let's go on into, um, into the British Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. Tell me a little bit about that. What would be the equivalent um, organization in the U.S. for that? So we're an affiliate of the AACD. Got so it. Perfect. About, about, it would have been 15 years ago now, um, a lot of the U.K. dentists um, were flying over to get training from AACD, AACD dentist, Larry Rosenthal, those sort of guys. And they basically um, came back to the UK and decided to make their own academy. Um, people like Chris Orr and Elaine Halley and, and sort of the top guys in the UK. And um, so, yeah, so basically when I was an undergraduate, um, I was on Dental Town a lot. So the, the US forum, pre, pre-Facebook groups uh, for dentistry. And I was always on there watching um, mainly American guys, um, but there was a few Brits on there, which was Tiff Qureshi and uh, Jason Smithson, both of whom, uh, Jason's now a spear, uh, a spear trainer. Um, and Tiff is, uh, at that point, he was using the Inman aligner, which I don't know if that's come across to the States much. It's quite, I don't, yeah. I don't use it personally. It's quite a bulky appliance, but he was in the UK anyway, one of the big proponents of um, GDPs doing orthodontics um, before Invisalign sort of really took a hold of that market. And um, so, yeah, anyway, Tiff was the president-elect of BACD, and I reached out to him through the, the Dental Town direct message, which seems very archaic now, and um, asked him to come down to my university and do a lecture. And he actually happened to have gone to my university as well. So he came down, gave, me, gave a lecture, and then he asked me to be a part of the BACD. So I was, I was a student member in my undergraduate years, and then just gradually came up through the ranks and and you ask how I've achieved so much so quickly within my career and being a part of that academy has opened so many doors for me um given me job opportunities and and taught me so much so it a lot of it I I attribute to the BACD which is why I'm really glad to be on the board of it now very cool and how long have you been affiliated uh on the board I mean, how long have you been on the board of the, the, the BACD? Uh, three years now. This oh, wow. Good for you. Year. Good for you. That's awesome. So um, is it uh, very digitally focused, the BACD, or is it lagging um, from other areas of the world? Um, I mean, I guess because a lot of the guys on the board are quite digitally focused. It's not. And, and I think, obviously, now that I'm in control of the education, um, I'm naturally going to lean it more towards my areas of um, interest. Hence why I reached out to you guys to get you to come over to the UK. Yeah, we'd <laughs> um, love to. Selfishly. Um, but I mean, digital is, uh, the, the, even the term digital dentistry now is kind of a silly one because I know uh, everything is digital. I mean, yeah, it's just, right. it's just restorative cosmetic dentistry using the latest techniques. Um, but I mean, you still kind of have to call it that to, to break it apart from other things. But 
that's well, there's my, some that's people, my viewpoint on it anyway. There's dentists that think they're practicing non-digital dentistry. They're taking impressions. They're doing everything the way they're, they think that they've always done it. They send it to the lab. It gets digitized there unbeknownst to them. Yeah, right. you know? Exactly. And, they and think it's strictly time. analog. It, it, it yeah. is getting digitized. Yeah. 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 That, that, so, that, that gold crown is made on the uh, 3D printed model. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they have no idea their, their impressions being scanned. Yeah. So it's, it's true. It's a very, it's a good point. So talk to us about Parla. Let, let's, let me see how you got involved with Parla. What's, what's the deal with that? And how did you become a co-founder, co-owner of that? So uh, it, the, the brand was founded by myself, uh, Dr. Rona Iskander and um, Dr. Adarsh Sankey. So um, we're all sort of relatively high profile dentists in the UK. Um, myself and Rona, especially, um, I, I'm a key, well, kind of was a key opinion leader for Oral-B. Uh, and she was a, a key opinion leader for Philips and Sensodyne and, and various other companies. And um, we also shared this mutual appreciation for the environment and for the ocean and for the planet. And certainly for myself, um, my dream is to one day live by the ocean. That's where I where I most find peace on this uh, on this earth. Is when I'm either in the sea, on the sea, near the sea. Um, and uh, so, I guess we were we were striving for an opportunity to make an impact on dentistry, which I, I don't think is very good when it comes to our eco status. And that kind of led us to think, where can we make the biggest amount of impact? And obviously you can make a certain amount of impact within the profession, but going out to the general public, if we go into the toothpaste market, 1.5 billion toothpaste tubes go into either landfill or the ocean every year. Um, I think it's 400,000 uh, 400, a year in the UK and, and, and obviously in total comes up to quite a massive figure. Um, and, and I guess I didn't really even think about that. I mean, I've been promoting oral beast toothpaste. They make your toothpaste, but I didn't even think about the fact that their tubes were completely non-recyclable plastic and, um, and everyone in the world was using them every day. So we sort of looked at the recyclable tube option, which is very difficult to actually do in reality. We looked at, um, at various other options and the tablet, there were various tablet brands out there, but most of them, were fluoride free. Um, and so that's kind of what led us to think, okay, we're dentists, we know these products need to contain fluoride to prevent against decay, which is still one of the biggest, most prevalent diseases in the world. So can we, can we merge these two passions of protecting our patients' teeth and also being eco-friendly at the same time? So all the packaging is um, completely plastic free, completely recyclable. The jar is designed to be reused. It's a subscription-based model. so the customer just gets the uh, the tablets delivered to their door every four months. And um, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a wild journey for the last year, but I'm really, really proud of the product that we've, um, that we've designed. Yeah. It's also solves two big issues. Number one being toothpaste is nice, nicest to use out of the tube. The first like two or three times you use it. And then someone in your family doesn't know how to like use it properly. And like, you know, it gets all grody Leave and the lid off. squeeze it properly. <laughs> Yeah, or squeezes yeah. it from the top or the bottom or whatever. And then the other thing is the dose. Because when the toothpaste commercials come out, they show you putting the whole line, you know, a quarter inch yeah. or, you know, 15, 20 millimeters of toothpaste. We know you shouldn't have that much. So people yeah. are overusing the amount of toothpaste. But uh, just curious, and I don't want to get too tangential here. What about um, your feeling about using nanohydroxyapatite versus fluoride? Um, as, as far as uh, anti-caries um, efficacy. What do, you, what do you know about it? Do you know well, much? Because for, for me, I've always thought that nanohydroxyapatite, um, it, it works as good, if not better than It fluoride. remineralizes. It doesn't, it doesn't change the, 
the chemical structure or, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. But that, yeah, I mean, so I, if, 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 yeah, go ahead, Simon. He's a scientific director. So let, let's have him. Speak. <laughs> I'm a scientist. No, pre- no, no, no pressure. Whatever. Um, I yeah, mean, no I, pressure, there's, exactly. There's, um, I like uh, hydroxy appetite as a, as an ingredient. And I think certainly in the future, it may be something that we look at ourselves. I, I haven't seen it as an alternative to fluoride. Um, and I, and I don't know much about, about it as a, as a replacement. Um, but as I say, what I do see is loads of new toothpaste brands, loads of Instagram brands promoting, uh, their eco-friendly, um, positives and their, their cleanness as a brand and, and fluoride naturally has quite bad PR. So that's why we, why we looked at that as sort of a main thing to bring in, but I don't know enough about the science to have the have the argument on hydroxyapatite versus fluoride. Yeah, what you can tell how confused the market is when Dr. Kylie Jenner. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's a very well known dentist. <laughs> where in where did she Beverly qualify? <laughs> well, I mean, she's not a doctor, but you know, that, don't let's she's not. She's a doctor the, of money, the, that's for sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's got her. She's got a graduate PhD in printing money. So anyway, Dr. Kylie Jenner, a renowned uh, um, scientific director of her own sort is now promoting a very well-branded and well-marketed and well-sold toothpaste that has charcoal in it. And charcoal works really well because <clears throat> just like if you want to um, make your wood floors a little whiter, you can sand them down. You can do the same thing with your teeth and the, the consumer is yeah. totally confused. And it's unfortunate that um, even the big brands, uh, we won't mention names, but instead of standing up for what's right, have just succumbed to putting charcoal on their toothpaste as well. This has been going on forever, meaning look at your ingredients. Silica is glass, right? Right. You're eating glass. Eat glass. It's the same thing. I mean, it's not like it's anything all of a sudden we've made this pivot into something abrasive. It's always been there. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I know, that but the, it's, it, uh, the, R, the RDA, the, um, the abrasiveness index right. on the charcoal toothpaste is quite a lot higher than on yeah. on a lot of good toothpaste and I, but I agree there are certain big brand names which have a really high a surprisingly high RDA right um, and um, well that's how that, you get your whitening claim the optic white your- optic white by crest has like a 200 so right. so white to, yeah. to get a whitening to, to be able to clear the FDA from what I understand and call your toothpaste a whitening toothpaste it has to have a certain level of RDA so yeah. I guess the best whitening you could possibly get would be like regular, like a, a belt sander, you know, like <laughs> belt sanding white by, uh, by our favorite brand. We just get like just Brillo, Brillo pads. Just, just oh yeah. That's a great yeah. idea. Brillo toothpaste. It's a trusted no, you brand. You put them on your fingers though. And just... I have a good one. Tylex soft scrub. It's a trusted <laughs> brand. People understand it. You know, people really in the U.S. Soft Scrub is really a, a very well-regarded brand. It takes your tiles and and makes them white. Imagine what it do for your teeth. Any, just so you know, any patients that are listening to this, we are joking right now. That is a complete joke. Do not brush yeah. your teeth with those things. Said. Yeah, it does. In this day and age, we have to actually say that. So, what I love about your, yeah, so, so, uh, sorry, please go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so, so the, the the your point on uh, Dr. Kylie Jenner's. Um, toothpaste brand that's kind of that's another one of the reasons why we spent a year trying to get the branding right on this because we we know that people want brands that look like kylie jenner's because they want something that looks cool on their shelves and that they can share on their social media and that they can um be sort of a bit uh, prophetic about and um so that's why we took a lot of time over the branding to make sure that it looked like an aspirational lifestyle brand 
but actually delivered on the on the science and on the um smart on the on the dead on the dentistry at the same time very cool pete will uh talk to you about becoming the u.s distributed for it uh after we hang up sounds good to already, already own parla.us <laughs> yeah, so yeah <laughs> just bought parla, parla toothpaste ta- yeah and i just i actually just bought parla toothpaste tablets uk.com but so we'll talk good. we'll talk later <laughs> so, it'll be a hard negotiation simon yeah. trust yeah. me i've been i've been hustled here live uh-huh. <laughs> yeah oh my god you want to talk about being hustled live simon i don't know if you ever heard the story but we're on stage at our first uh summit in atlanta about a year and a half ago year two years ago this october and uh Peter was featured in a best-selling book with one of our business partners. Um, uh, the book was called The Millennial Whisperer by Chris Tuff. It's a best, New York Times best-selling book. And I had this idea in my practice about giving out these reward dollars. I call them Spodite Dental Group bucks. And on stage, he's like, Craig, I never really told you the story. And we got like 150 people in the audience. And he goes live and says, you know how you have those SDG bucks? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I changed it to Atlanta Dental Spa Bucks, and I got featured in a New York Times best-selling book and took your idea. And they interview, they're interviewing me about this, and the people from the New York Times say it was the best part of the book, and they think I'm a genius. I'm like, you motherfucker, like, alive. We're live. I had I'm to, literally. I'm like, I had to wait till we were live to tell him. I was like, I got a depression because he couldn't do anything. You know? I was like laughing like it doesn't bother genius. me. It's like. It's like yeah. falling, like dropping your bicycle in front of a cafe and like falling and, and you know, and hurting yourself. I literally walk, walk was, it off. Walk yeah, it off. I, I had to walk it off. <laughs> well, I couldn't. Just rub some dirt on it, Craig. <laughs> yeah. It was so bad, man. <laughs> so about That's the tooth, cool. the, the parlatoothtablets.us, it's probably real with Pete. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I'm a businessman first. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, God. All right, all right. We hope everyone is getting massive value from listening to this podcast. If you are, we're going to ask a couple things in return. First, review us on iTunes. If you don't know how to do that, the easiest way is to pick up your phone, open the podcast app, click on the album art, and then scroll all the way through the episodes, and you'll see review at the bottom. Go ahead and bang out the stars that we deserve. Second thing, if you haven't signed up for our text uh, list to get notified of special offers or the next summit or whatever it may be, uh, make sure to text the words bulletproof to 33777. That's 33777 and the word is bulletproof. Third thing is we've got the book, as most of you all know, but we've also got the audible version that Dr. Spodak spent three days in studio and it was an arduous task and he crushed it. He really should be an, an audible book and then last, if you haven't heard, uh, we've got an amazing deal with Merchant Cost Consulting, and it's for processing, and it's a uh, check out that episode. But if you want to get hooked up with that deal, make sure to uh, go to the landing page, bulletproofdiscounts.com. That's it, everyone. Hope you're having a great day, and we'll see you soon. So anyway, so that's really cool. Um, and let's, let's uh, you know, what I really love about... Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you meet, you have these online relationships um, uh, uh, and Peter, not, not grinder or Tinder that you're thinking, but more like the ones that we, <laughs> more like the ones that we develop when we have uh, uh, someone we have a lot of respect for, like the, the way I feel about uh, you, Simon. And also like Miguel Stanley, like I was following Miguel Stanley for quite a while and then we get to meet in person uh, and then it's a whole different level. And with technology like we have today, it's, this is like our first meeting, but I, I get a really good sense of who you are. And, I, and you're an empath like I am. And 
Pete, Pete, you probably want to just tune out for the next two minutes here because mm-hmm. Pete always gets what he calls sweaty back when he hears these conversations. No, sweaty back. It just, yeah. This is when Craig gets touchy-feely. Go for it, buddy. All right. I'm going touchy-feely. So if you're not a touchy-feely person, put this on pause for a second and pick up. Fast and just forward. We'll be done in two minutes, literally two Fast minutes. Fast forward. But anyway, so we've got like, uh, you know, Miguel Stanley and I, when I, when I first met Miguel, uh, we instantly bro- we instantly really bonded. And, and it was always, it, it's always when I bond with people, at least personally, it's always over our, our common frailties of, you know, because you expect a guy like Miguel Stanley, who's been on the doctors in Portugal and the U S he's got everything tight, you know, he's, he's doing everything great. And you're like, geez, if I just had what he had, I'd be, life would be amazing. And then you get to know the person you're like, Hey, I struggle too. And there's a real sense of liberty and freedom in realizing yeah. that your struggle, whatever you have, is 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 as common as human beings. We're human beings, uh, and we're having emotional experiences, and it's tough. And I can gather that from you. And your message is so uplifting, and how you use physical fitness. And I I got to admit, sometimes I'll see you working out. I'm like, God damn it, I got to go work out. So it's working. I mean, uh, um, you know, I we have friendships. Peter and I have a very good friendship, and. Lately, we've been texting each other back and forth, like, get your workout in, screenshot what you're doing. Like, you know, so I'm screenshotting yeah. my Peloton output and so on and so forth. So tell me how that happened for you. Is that like how you were, how you grew up? Or, I mean, the sensitivity, how did that come into play? Because it's like, really, I look at the space, it's like Miguel Stanley, it's you. And it's also Kyle Stanley, Miguel's distant uh, white cousin. For those <laughs> who don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I, and I think... You, when you and Miguel, uh, when you guys and Miguel were on your podcast um, previously, I think you described it as being a pleaser, um, and I think that's that's definitely that's definitely what I am, one hundred percent. And as you say, when you when you see people online who you sort of relate with, and then you meet them in person, I I felt exactly the same way about Miguel. I felt exactly the same way about Kyle because I've met both of them in person, um, and I'm sure I feel the same way when when we all get to finally meet up uh, physically, but. Um, it's um, yeah. It, that, I think that's the most important thing with my relationship with those guys is that they are they appear to be extremely successful, good-looking, beautiful wives, beautiful kids, um, but actually they've got this vulnerability. And I think anyone who is willing to express their vulnerability, some people, some sort of alpha macho individuals may view that as a weakness. But I think to be able to like, like expose you're talking your about own, Pete, right? Sorry, when you said that, when you used the finger Sorry, quotes, you meant hey, Pete, right? Settle down, Spodak. <laughs> Vengeance but, uh, is mine but, for the millennial whisperer. I've been avenged. Okay, sorry, go. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. When you have people like Pete, yeah. I understand. Go on where you're going. <laughs> but I think, I think that people who are willing to expose their vulnerability, that they are they're the strongest individuals. Because once you've shown your weakest card, then nobody can get you on anything that that's it you're, you're transparent and that's what i love about social media is the opportunity to be uh transparent uh emotively because that's just who i am as a person i cry at movies i'm a very emotional guy i tell my wife i love her all the time and i'll probably cry on this podcast if you push me hard enough um but it's um that's just who i am and i think that's that's the best way i can uh, explain it i, I guess yeah, it's cool. I, I've, um, I, I cry from stage a lot too. I don't, uh, you know, and I've, I've learned that from, from mentors. I'm very fortunate to have, um, you know, Tony Robbins in my life and, you know, he's been a mentor of mine and I spent a lot of personal time with him as I care for him as a patient. And, um, oftentimes, um, he comes in late 
and I've had to drive him home, not had to, but I've had the you know honor to drive him to his house. And we've had a lot of chats in the car on the way home. And, um, you know, he's an empath too. And he, uh, he, he has a very, he, he's kind of one of the people that shaped this ability to be strong and be emotional at the same time. And, and when yeah. you said that, when you, when you're transparent, you show your weakest card, it's kind of like the art of war, you know, by Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu is like when you're, the art of war says like when you're, when you're attacking an enemy, when you're near, you appear far, when you're far or you appear near, when you're strong, you should appear weak. And when you're weak, you know, it, so when you're weak, you actually have to appear strong because you have to bolster yourself. But when you're actually coming yeah. from an internal place of strength, you can show your weakness because you know yeah. that you have, you, there's the strength tapped in there. And um, I don't know if it's Tony's quote or not, but Tony would oftentimes say like water leaving your eyes is the only place on your body where water coming out of is, is appropriate in public. You know, so <laughs> like, like, you, 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 it, he just has this way of, you know, when, when, if you've been to one of his live events and I know we, uh, we talked about you wanting to go, I, I strong, I mean, it, it's going to be awesome for you. I, I can't wait for you to, to do it. If there's anything I can do to encourage you to do it, I, I'm, I'm going to do that. But, uh, you know, he'll oftentimes cry uh, and he cries a lot in his, in his day, in his, um, in his events. Um, but when Tony cries, it's interesting because he kind of stands up even straighter. And his chest yeah. goes out. Like when we tend, as men, we've always been taught, socialized at least, to, to think it's not appropriate to cry. So when we cry, we shrink. And there's something really powerful about, you know, being okay in a vulnerable spot. And in a position yeah. like you have, and, and I think that we have, by having this conversation, by letting people know that just because you have a podcast, you wrote a book, or you're, you're on a board of a, of, a, of a reputable organization, we're still human beings. We're having this human experience, and we're in like human school. You know, we have an evolutionary primitive brain that's like akin to an ape, <laughs> you know, so when the shit hits the fan, like the coronavirus scare, fear can take us over and we can go dark and then and we can have a bad day and get upset and have a fight with a loved one. And then every day is a new beginning. It's literally a new lifetime. So you put your head on the pillow. You're not proud of the day you had. Either you behaved in a way that you're not proud of, you got emotional and you're sensitive about it or you're scared. Tomorrow, you, every day is a reset. You know, it's, yeah. it's sleep is its own little way of, of cleansing what happened. And there's another chance. And all we can do as human beings is say tomorrow can be better. And I think if you have a lifetime of better tomorrows, you have an epic life. Um, yeah, I think, I think I, I, I've been, I've been meditating quite a lot, even more so recently because with all the coronavirus, I've had, I've had more time, <laughs> which, yeah. uh, which makes a difference, but I've, um, I was meditating the other day using headspace. And, um, one of the things they said was. You, you have to be aware that every every time you do something, it's the first time you're doing it. So you might think that you are going back into the same state of anxiety and, oh, here we go again, going back into that. But it's, it's different every single time. You're in a different location. You're in a different state of mind. And I think if you look at everything as the first time that you're doing it, then it gives you an opportunity to um, not be so worried about it because you know that, as you say, the next day, things are going to be different again and you're going to feel differently about something. So... I found that quite powerful. Yeah, Pete's encouraging me too because every uh, you know the other day, um, every time Pete and I right before we go on stage, we we pray. Uh, it's kind of a ritual that we've done. Just you know, something simple like you know asking a higher power to give us the influence and capability to inspire the people that have paid money and taken time away from their families. I mean, people have traveled really far and spent a lot of money to hear what we have to say, and we want to make sure we deliver for them. And that's our whole mission. And uh, Pete was like, "So how's your praying going?" I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, you know, you pray when we go on stage." Are, aren't you, are you praying a lot? 
I was like, no, dude, the last time I prayed was when we got on stage. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? And so like, he's, you know, cause meditation, prayer, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's calm space where you're asking for help. And I think that's really important to have that, that, that ritual of some sort. Um, oh, it's that, massive. I mean, meditation for me has been one of the strongest tools in my armamentarium. And I, I view exercise as part of that as well, because I think any, any opportunity when you focus solely on, on one thing, whether it be physical exertion or actually just your breath or whatever it is, especially for individuals like us who clearly we're ambitious, clearly we're sort of type A personalities who are driven by what's going on in the future, what's the next opportunity we have to be successful. Um, certainly that's, that's always been my mind space. I'm constantly, I must have sort of 20 ideas a day about what my next thing I'm going to do is. And if I don't make that space mentally, then it's, uh, it's very easy to, to either worry about the future or worry about the past or, or um, just get into that negative mind space. I think that being a type A, by the way, has a lot to do with it. Because if you have 20 ideas and 15 of them <clears throat> need time and they could actually be good, you're only going to execute a handful of those. So you could very easily wind up in a conversation in your own head of like, oh, I'm not getting shit done. And like, what's going yeah. on? Like everybody's moving ahead. And what am I doing? I'm not, you know, I'm not advancing these things. And I just talk a lot of shit. I just not getting shit done. I mean, the dialogue that we have with ourselves is really, um, really powerful as well. And um, so I have this on my, as you can't see it and you probably can't see it because it's backwards, but this is. No, it's, it's correct. It's right. It? Okay. So going into Simon, I've suffered with anxiety at many points in my life and, 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 and then my hack hasn't, you know, meditation is hard, honestly. And sometimes that creates even more anxiety because I'm like, am I doing this right? What's going on? Yeah. Like, I'm, why am I thinking? Yeah. And it almost yeah. creates this more like, God, I'm failing at this too kind of thing. But, <laughs> I can't even fucking meditate. I'm so fucking up. Damn brain. Right? And I've so been there. I've been there for sure. The, where I, what's helped me is the only thing is kind of like, look, just play, play. I have to actually talk to myself and, and your words create your reality and like this is okay or, or right if there, i get anxiety about something especially in this day and time with like the covid situation right i've been panicking and then all of a sudden i was like wait a second i'm just gonna automatically put things into two buckets shit i can fix and shit i cannot control right and i'm gonna work hard on the things i can control and i'm gonna pray hard about the shit i can't and that's it and that was literally and so i've gotten into this narrative about because your word the message that goes on in your head's like i'm a failure and oh my gosh i'm scared and doom and gloom and listening to the news like the, if those become the tape messages that play in your brain if that's yeah, the fucked. diet of consumption of food that your brain is eating you're doomed you're doomed and yeah, so i have to literally remind myself that like the words i play on my tape recorder in my brain create the reality and my optics going forward yeah, there's a saying you have to stand guard at the gateway to your head. You have to stand guard uh, at it. My dad was telling me, he's like, oh, I'm really scared about this stuff. You know, my dad's 78 years old. He's locked up in his house. I'm like, dad, how much news are you watching? He's like constant. And it's, yeah. it's, um, it's what we're feeding ourselves. But I find a really, you know, when you say talking to yourself, I, there's this really cool exercise. It's like the, and what else? So let's just say you take your fear of like, this is going to happen. Like, you know, maybe let's go pre-corona. Like you're, you're, you know, you're worried about your business succeeding uh, of, or some sort, or you're worried about failure. So you go through this thing like, okay, so what if I don't get enough new patients? Okay, well then this, and then what, what if that, and then this, and then what if that happens? And then it was this, and then ultimately you get to a place after you've gone through like the 20 steps and then what, what next? And you're like, okay, then I'm actually okay. You know, uh, you know, you, you can reduce all of your fears. The problem is, is 
we kind of take our, our, our concerns and we just loop them. Like you said, Pete, the recording, it's just being played over and over. Yeah. That's what anxiety is. It's like, is this going to happen? I don't know. What if it happens? I don't know. What would I do? Is this going to happen? What would I do? It's like, it's literally craziness. It's a crazy loop yeah. of, a, of, you never, of, you never finish the conversation. Do you? I think, I think that, um, I don't know if you guys have read uh, the power of now by Earth. Yeah. Love it. Um, but that's like, I, I always try to think back to that book whenever I, whenever the I pain body, the pain body, yeah. right. Is that what he talks about? Like that there's a human need to just, suffer and awaken the pain. Well, body. yeah, that, that, but also just, just the fact that you, you say you're sort of, you're, you're in control of the gateway to your own mind. You, you, you are having these negative discussions with yourself. It's your, it's the ego. Um, and you're discussing things in the future or you're discussing things in the past with your own ego. And actually, if you just became present and you thought, what actually, what, what is attacking me right now? Like, for example, right now, I'm sitting in my house. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I could be worrying about COVID, but it's actually not affecting me right now. I'm literally in a safe space. And in 99.9% .9 of your life, that's where you are. Like, you're in a safe environment, but you're worrying about the future or the past that, as you say, are lost out of your control anyway. Yeah, it's cool. I love that book. I listen to him on Audible, and his voice is so monotone. Yeah, I same, literally, same. I can, <laughs> I'll pass out in six seconds. Like, and the problem is the pain body. But, you know, it's just, I don't do a very good Eckhart Tolle, but yeah. No, that's but good. It's, I like that. It's a powerful, powerful book. Um, I think the next one was A New Earth, where he talks about the pain body. But it's true. It's like you think about like all thought is just subvocal speech. You're actually talking to yourself. What do I have to do after this podcast? Oh, I should really go, you know, talk to the kids. Like you're having a conversation. So you really have to have, to Peter's point, yeah. you have to have good conversations with yourself. And, um, and you and, talk to yourself way more than you talk to anyone else. Of course. Yeah. Well, all head, thinking. Like there's, just, there's, million, there's, you know, there's dialogue going on from morning to night in your head. And so, you know, like I said, it, it shapes you. And whenever I get down and down, I can go down a dark place of God I failed at this too. And guys, this is horrible. And my relationship's horrible. Right. And all of a sudden you, you get more of what you, you get more of what you get kind of thing. What am I trying to say? Um, Pete, right. It kind of feeds on each other. It's piling on and then you can't get out of that cycle because it's spiraling down. Do you think, do you think you said you like, you've been in dark places before. Do you think that you've kind of cracked anxiety in your own head or like, do you feel much stronger now to be able to deal like with negative life events? Totally. I, I do. Um, you know, I, I mean, I had a place, a really dark place that I don't, you know, and I don't speak about it publicly that much, but 2015 was, you know, to the point where it was as dark as it was going to get for me. And, and honestly, Simon, I, so many looking back, so many silver linings came from that event that now given that I'm, you know, 43 years old now, I've had enough life experience to know that like, when there's dark, there will be massive light. And I think that's what gets me through it. Literally, I know that there's gonna there's a purpose for everything. And I truly believe that whatever darkness is happening, even right now, there is a purpose for this virus. Oh, yeah. and there will be a, there will be a sure. blessing that comes from it. I, I, that I am certain. So as dark as it is, and, and I've had a couple, like I said, life events where it was really dark. And, and I would literally tell myself, Simon, one day at a time, I was like, I'm just going to finish today and then I'll make a decision at the end of the day. I'm going to finish tomorrow, you know, and then I would get, wake up the next morning and be like, I'm going to finish today and then I'll make a decision at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and so, by the way, like that, the feeling that you had, Pete, the, the crushing portion of what, what upsets most of us is that we feel alone in our suffering. So it's like this, especially with social media and why I appreciate what Simon does with, as a beacon of hope, because when you look at people and they, oh, they've got it all, just like you said, and, and, and they're still transparent, they're still suffering. It gives people unconscious, 
uh, unconscious permission to to be at at, at peace with their own <clears throat> human emotions. But right now, it's it's a magical time, and I use the word magic because uh, I. I, I it's, it's, I'm really thinking a better, there's no better term because the whole world is on pause. Every one of us, you're 3000 miles away from us, Simon, and your fears are exactly the same fears that we have right now. Um, yeah. And it doesn't matter what portion of the planet you're on. We all are at the exact same point, this inflection point in our lives of like, everything's been taken away, you know, momentarily, of course. Um, there's no pressure to get ahead because we're all frozen at the start line at the, at the starting point. And um, there's no end in sight, really. And it's, it, I, I know one thing for sure, our children, our pets, if you have some, this is the most special time in their lives, and they'll always remember this. Oh, massive. I mean, uh, so oh, two, two points on that. Number one, I couldn't agree more. Like the, the unity across the whole world right now, it's, it's the most that it could ever have been. I mean, we are, there's never been a time in our lifetimes where we've all experienced exactly the same thing at exactly the world the same is focused time. on one problem right now. That's yeah. it. Right. It's exactly. either a pandemic or an alien invasion. Those are the only two things that could probably do it. Because <laughs> the al- to, to the virus, we all look the same. We're so concerned about what race or what gender or sexual preference. We made all these subgroups over the last couple of years. The virus doesn't give yeah. a shit. And aliens wouldn't give yeah. a shit. They're like, I don't even notice if you're black or white. You, you don't look like we do. And they'd blow us away. <laughs> you're so. just food. <laughs> yeah, you're, exactly. You're just food yeah. to us. I don't, I don't know if you saw the, um, the 15 points that were, they were attributed to Bill Gates. I don't know if he actually said them, um, but they were really interesting positives that he took from the whole COVID situation, which I thought were, were really nice. So check those out. Um, but it, to your point about the kids, like um, I have a two-year-old girl and over the last, since she's been born, I've been sort of reaching the peak not not the peak of my career but my career's been going very very well i've been super busy with the practice i've been lecturing loads internationally i've been launching parlor so i've been so so busy and um i've had to sort of literally physically book time out in my diary to be at home with my family so naturally my little girl when i get back home from work she's like i want mummy i want mummy i I don't want you um and uh, that's been really hard for me. But since I've been at home, she's now just flipped completely and she's a complete daddy's girl. Uh-huh. And I've, I, I personally, if I, if I block out all of the sadness, which obviously there is a lot of it around right now, but for me personally, within my own environment of my home, it's been wonderful. I've, I've absolutely loved the time with her. You know, and I wonder, I, I wonder if we look back on this time, I think the greatest travesty for any of us would be to go back, because let's just say, you know, life is going to go back to normal. We know this. And imagine looking back at this time and saying, I was forced to be at home. And instead of being with my family that needed me, um, I was just consuming news and data and trying to navigate. And I was paralyzed by fear. That would be the greatest travesty because when life goes back to normal, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll be super busy and we'll, we'll say like, what did I do with those weeks? What, what did I actually accomplish? Did I get in better shape? Did I get in worse shape? Did I create more love in my family? Did my wife and my husband feel that I was more connected or less connected? Because that's really what's going to happen. We're going to look back at this time and I, I want people to realize that this is a, a rare blessing where we all have this time to, to invest in the relationships, yeah. things that we always said we never had time to do. This is the time to prove that uh, concept. Not but again, that's the narrative, Craig, that I was talking about earlier, right? So you have to say like, holy shit, we're for it. You know, you can doom and gloom and say, ah, oh, just hunker down and watch news until this passes. Or like, okay, we flip the narrative on what a blessing x y and z like like simon's talked about and you talked about right yeah. so it's just it's just the words in our head right and, and that frames your narrative your perception is your reality 
And one interesting thing too, is that if we look back on this time, obviously there might be, you know, 60, 100,000 deaths, uh, who knows what the world's going to face. We don't really know. But if you actually take all the numbers, because people aren't driving in the U.S. alone, 3,900 people die in vehicular accidents every single day. You drive down the street, there's a faded yellow line, and you're bombing down at 60 miles an hour. And you're just blindly trusting, you're checking your phone, you're looking at different things, and you're just blindly trusting that the person on the other side of the street is not going to be distracted or drunk or tired and slam and kill you. So we're not driving right now. So probably the vehicular accidents are going to go down by half. So that's possibly yeah. a million, you know, there's 1.25 million people just in the U.S. that die. So let's just say that at the end of this, 500,000 less people die of vehicular accidents and 300,000 die of coronavirus. I don't know. It might be a net positive yeah. for mm-hmm. life on the planet. It's we don't good, even I never know. thought of it that way. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and there's so many other things to, to, to think about it. I think it's next flu season. Or next, you know, let's say, say corona goes away and never comes back like it did the first time with SARS in 2002. What, what's going to happen next year with the flu? Because 80,000 people died of the flu, and I'm not trying to minimize coronavirus in any fashion, but imagine if every time someone died of the flu, you knew about it, and there was graphs and charts, and you knew about all of it. And every time someone died in a car accident, you knew about it. And it's just, yeah. we're not meant to know all this stuff. We're not meant to I be said that, I, said that, I, I said that to my wife yesterday, because she was saying, oh, look at all these new deaths that have come through. Look at this 13-year-old kid who's died. Look at these two nurses who have died. And it's, I said to the Megs, but how often are you checking the, the worldwide death rate every day? Like that's mm-hmm. literally, you're looking at that checker every single day of how many people have point. died, like, it, like it's going to make a difference to your life. And uh, that you wouldn't look, do look that at in famine. reality. Look at famine. I look at, I show my kids, every, you know, I'm, I'm kind of dark with this, but my kids, every time they're picky about food and stuff like that, I've had dinner conversations. I pull up a clock that I have an app, not an app, but it's a website that shows how, how many people are dying of famine. And it's been going on for millennia. And, you know, before the coronavirus, every second, there's a child. Torturing your kids at dinner time, Craig. Well, no, I'm just showing, like, hey, listen, you know. I like it. It's parenting advice for me. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I just, I always, my my kids, ever since they could walk, they've handed out food at Thanksgiving. And they, you need context is what I'm trying to say. And the context we have right now is, is one way looking at a coronavirus calculator and seeing graphs of stuff like that. But there's been travesties of, of humanity going on for forever. And even still with the coronavirus and what's raging right now, we're still at the best time to be a human being with the, with the longest lifespan and all this other stuff yeah. and access to care and access to food. And less people are dying of, of um, starvation now than ever before. And we're feeling like we're suffering. And, um, and, and there, I think the, the message that we're trying to communicate here is you, you are at home and that's a beautiful thing. And this is the time to invest in the relationships that you won't have time to do because when things clear up, it's going to be back to the hustle. Yeah, I'm in. What is your plan once you guys get the green light and like just, for just, your just, practice? Just, before I ask that question, just a point on, on what you were saying there, Craig. Um, I read a quote literally this morning, I think on Instagram that said, um, I was crying about not having shoes until I saw the man who had no feet. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a perfect analogy for, for exactly what you're just saying. Um, but um, my plan for me, my plan in, in what way? In, in how yeah, I think so we're going to go say, back to work? Or? I'm going to pivot this back to your practice and, you know, because obviously you're prolific and you're an influencer and I want to hear your plan that you, because you've obviously spent some time. But let's say, you know, that, that the UK says, okay, dentistry is back in open season again. 
what is your plan? How are you going to, how are you going to turn the lights back on metaphorically speaking? So I, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that naturally. And I, I'm, I'm viewing this horrible situation uh, in, in the most positive light that I can do, which is that it's going to be a massive opportunity for business. Yep. I think, I think I'm going to force myself to innovate harder than ever before and use this uh, break point as a reset button for myself because naturally we all we all fall into a routine for example i get probably i probably see let's say three new patients a day that i'm in the clinic who come and see me because of instagram and so i just rely on instagram whole, wholly and because it's been so good to me i haven't had to think or about doing advertising. anything else yeah holy shit okay a lot um, of guys are doing that it's incredible and gals correct. so yeah, I, I, when I say guys, I meant you guys. People. That's people. <laughs> hey, you but guys. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, so, so that's kind of my view on it is that I'm thinking, right, okay, this may not work anymore. Like you may be sitting on your ass doing nothing and um, you may not have the patients coming through anymore because people might not want cosmetic dentistry right now. They, they're probably thinking, I don't have a job or um, I'm, I've, I've lost loads of money because of the coronavirus epidemic pandemic um or it could so be yeah, yolo. Kind of a, uh, it could be and, and, and i guess there's a lot of people at home right now um who are probably snacking hard and not looking after their teeth so, yeah, um, or just saying like hell yeah i get one life and this could have been taken i'm gonna go out with a freaking beautiful smile at least i don't care how much money i have <laughs> <Hopefully>. left right <laughs> life there's is fragile of, like let's live pretty or something I don't know. yeah there's a lot of yeah. pent up there's gonna be a lot of pent up demand i mean yeah, I, I, I i've told so. people I told Peter too, like if you, if you go to the, your favorite restaurant once a week, when this thing finally lifts, it's not like you're going to go 15 times in a row to make up for lost demand, all these people, broken teeth, all this stuff. I think, I think we're, we're looking at like expanded hours and trying to handle as much as possible in that way. I hope so. I hope so. But what's, what's been actually been from a business point of view, what's been very useful for me is obviously I took over my parents' practice two years ago. Um, they'd been running things in their way for a long time, very successfully, but obviously I had my own ideas that I wanted to implement and mm. I've kind of been a bit lazy. I say lazy in my, in my terms, but, uh, I've been a little bit lazy with some of the things that I wanted to action that I haven't got around to because I've been too busy. And the knowledge I have of my own practice finances right now is better than I have ever known yeah. before. Like all, all of my expenses, I can tell you to the nearest pound Perfect. what I've been spending. Um, I've, I've, just, I've actually just decided to switch my um, practice management software because the one that I was using was relatively mm-hmm. archaic and I was paying a lot of money for it. Um, what are so you I've going gone, to? Uh, I'm going to Software of Excellence because um, they've got a really nice patient portal. Software of Excellence, Henry Shine. Um, yeah. Is, is it cloud management software? Is it what I'm saying? Cloud-based. Is it like a cloud-based Dentrix? Uh, it's not cloud-based because there's no decent cloud-based ones in the UK at the moment, but they are yeah. moving towards that. But it is, I think but it that, is, I think that sounds like British, British Dentrix. I mean, Dentrix doesn't sound good for the British market. They have this sort of excellence, software excellence. excellence. Amazing. It's so much it's better. A, yeah. with, a, with an English accent, it sounds appropriate. Yeah, yeah it does. It's very regal. I could imagine like a family crest with swords and shields. Do they knight you when they give it to you? Yeah, is it a big ceremony when you sign up? There is. <laughs> a, lot of red, a lot of red velvet. Yeah, that's Simon, what's up? Down. You bring up something good, actually. I've been listening to you talking. Like, so you're kind of treating it 
There's so many of us in dentistry complain, whether it's the team member that we hate, or I don't have the time for systems and operations, or I hate the way this is going in my practice and all these belly aching things that we want to fix somewhat. We have a clean canvas now, right? We're all going to be, yes, kind of starting up again, turning the lights on, but now would be the time, all those things that you hated in your practice, or maybe didn't have the financial acumen, like you saying, you know, your numbers now better than ever, right? If you know your weaknesses, now's the time to work on it. If you know you hate something, now's the time to work on it. If you know you're weak in, in, in the systems and your team has gone rogue, like maybe now's the time to let go of those ones that you knew that aren't a good fit for your culture. Now's the time to yeah. kind of work on this. So my point is, is that like we, we are going to have no time. We are going to have, we should, we should be intolerant about belly aching post Corona, post COVID because you had the yeah. fucking time to fix it. Yeah. No excuses anymore. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I, I was listening to a, a, um, a webinar with Christian Coachman yesterday and um, he had a life coach on. It was really interesting what he said. He said, when you look back at this time in two years time, are you going to be proud of what you achieved and how you behaved? Right. Or are you going to feel negative about it? And I think especially with regards to how you look after your staff, for the staff who you do really value and who have be, always been there for you, if you've acted in a way that is scared and... Uh, defensive and you haven't looked after them then you won't have that strong team to go back to well look it's easy i you know you guys talk craig you talk about me being an alpha or whatever but like you know i do resonate with the william wallaces of the world right and so i think it's very easy for us to be as leaders and practices i think it's very easy when we're in peace times to be good ceos like anyone can be a good peacetime ceo or when the market is bullish and things are going crazy it's easy to be the ceo but you know are you a good wartime CEO? Did you treat your team? Did you treat your, your soldiers, if you will, correctly in that time period? Right. And did you, and did you show fear when they were looking to be led out of that dark place? And, um, and you know, and I'm not saying that I've done it perfectly. Like I'll probably have some regrets of the way I handled things. Um, but I did it, I did it with not just by flippantly thinking like, I'll just do this. There was heavy, heavy, uh, deliberation about what I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, but I don't know. I just, I just think there's a cool distinction between wartime and peacetime CEOs and like, which one are you? And do you have the chops? Do you have the chops to kind of like be like, everyone follow me. And Craig, you talked about a battle, right? Everyone follow me. I've got this. And I think that's what people want when things are dark. Yeah. I I had a really cool quote. Sorry if I'm laying out loads of cheesy quotes here, but uh, that character like a photograph is revealed in the darkness. And um, that obviously doesn't really make sense anymore because everything's digital. But um, for those people old enough to have developed, developed a film uh, photograph, I thought that was very, very true because, um, as you say, it's so easy to be... It, it's like it's easy to have faith or to believe in fate when everything is going according to plan. It's like, oh, everything's meant to be because I'm smashing it. Um, it it's a lot harder to say that when things aren't going your way and still have that strength of mind and that uh, that same sort of mindset yeah well that's when you learn about yourself you learn about yourself and your failures you learn about yourself through your darkness and i i look at human emotion like like a conduit like it's a pipe you know the capacity to feel is like the diameter of a pipe so when bad things happen and you suffer even though you're feeling negative emotion the pipe is expanding but what's it really doing is when the suffering ends because it always does and the night ends and the sun comes out again you have an increased capacity to feel So like, and I'm not making a judgment on antidepressants and those types of, you know, therapies for people that are depressed, but what antidepressants tend to do from a biological standpoint, a biochemical standpoint is shrink the pipe. 
So yes, it mutes the depressive depression, but it also mutes the highs. So it makes you yeah. just kind of muted to all of life. So I think you're just meant to feel it all and know that when you're suffering, you're just expanding your capacity to feel. So the, yeah, the, I, I think, oh, go ahead. No, that's it. That was all. That's what I was saying. Just to, just to I, embrace the process. I, I think for me, like, obviously I am, I'm 33. I haven't, um, it could be your dad, by the way. I've only, I've only owned my practice for two years. I haven't, I, I listened to a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk and, uh, he's all, he's been saying for years, hands up. If you're younger than 35, you, you haven't been punched in the mouth yet. And, um, <laughs> cause I haven't, I, I, I was still an undergraduate in 2008. I wasn't there for the dot-com bubble. Um, and I feel like this is me being punched in the mouth. And I think the fact that I'm aware of that right now, it almost gives me strength because I'm like, right, I'm not going to crumble. This is my opportunity to actually put my money where my mouth is and, and show, show what I'm all about. So I yeah. guess that's probably why I'm feeling pragmatically optimistic about the situation is because I'm like, I have positivity in my own strength. And this is I'm just going to keep on grind, grinding it out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm in the, I'm in the, I'm in the ring now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, uh, it's also a time where many of our, your colleagues and many of our people that we associate with in our areas are, are going to get the punch in the mouth was the knockout punch for them. So in 2008, my practice expanded by 78% because when there's blood in the streets, wow. I was reaching out to all the people around me like, Hey, do you want to merge? You want to do this or that? And this is a great time. Because a lot of people, you know, human beings, when things go well, they think it's going to go well forever. And when they're bad, they think it's going to go bad forever. And in the grand scheme, I, I have a feeling this might be, you know, God willing, a shorter dip than most uh, than the economic recession. Um, yeah, I agree. So uh, I think it's important that you reach out to this is an expand. This is a time to expand and not just contract, um, you know, take a For pause, sure. get your house in order. But if there's opportunities and you have friends in the area that are feeling ultra dark, you can, you can bring them into the fold and potentially create a group practice through this time, which would be neat as well. I'll definitely have to pick your brain on that at another time, Craig, because that's, um, yeah. it's always been, and, and it's interesting actually, it, ever since university, I've, I've always dreamt of having like a micro corporate type thing because I love branding. I love um, that sort of element of business and I kind of fluctuate with it day to day, whether or not I still think that's a good idea. Um, so do I, and I've already done it, so... <laughs> So, 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 so you've got your, your, your big main complex, right? And then have you got other small practices as well? No, no. I just have one, um, 13,000 square beast. foot. Yeah. <laughs> one beast. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, for me, I love people. I'm an extrovert. I love en like the energy of it. Um, I used to get excited when I practiced in a small environment, when a specialist would come in, I get excited. It was more energy. Like how many, how many people can I see today? How many, how many, how many people can I be around? And I just really like that. I like, I love my team. My team inspires me. They hold me accountable. And it's just really fun for me. I miss working a lot, actually. I miss just being in the mix with, with my people. But um, yeah. as far as like the reaching out to the merger thing, it doesn't have to be so overt as, hey, do you want to merge? This is a time when you can send a friendly email to your colleagues in the area saying, hey, this is a time we're all going back to our reset and dentistry has to stick together through this time. We're going to be here to support each other. A conciliatory um, message. And I'm here for you if you need anything. And someone may reach out like, Hey man, I'm really, or Hey, I'm really suffering here. And, um, you know, I've always wanted to pull the trigger and not do this. And now this cemented that decision. And then those are, those are opportunities to combine. I'll, I'll be happy to talk to you about all that stuff. I've done it before. I've written those letters and 
Um, they've created really good, good relationships, even though they didn't all work as they, they didn't, I didn't get a merger out of it. I've created really good friendships with my, some of my colleagues in the area just by having them because they wanted to get to know me and we went fishing and we hung out. We spent a lot of quality time together and then nothing came of it. But now I have a really good friend. So I think yeah. dentistry needs that on a local level as well. Oh, massively. And I was chatting with one of my friends about that last night on a Instagram live. I think locally dentists, I don't know if this is the same in the States, but in the UK, a lot of dentists look at their local competition and they think, and they think of it as just that it's competition or what marketing are they doing? I'm going to copy that. I'm going to undercut them on that price. And that's so negative for the profession. Like our patients are uh, unlimited. Every single person on this planet is one of our, is a potential patient for us. And if we practice that abundance mentality and we have the support of our local dentists, we're in so much of a better position because guess what? If that patient hates you, they're going to go to the guy just down the road. And if he hates you as well, then he could quite easily be um, slagging off your, your dentistry as opposed to being very professional about it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And we, we, we tend to be so judgmental. I think it's a product of our schooling, uh, our schooling really um, in medical school. It's always, you know, a bunch of medical doctors and they're rounding together, they're co-diagnosing. And in medicine, it's like doctor and patient versus disease. And in dentistry, we have this idea like, hey, patient, you've got TMJ. I am going to take your TMJ away. Like de- medical professionals don't say, I will take care of your cancer. They say, you know what, you've got cancer and this is going to be a really uphill battle. I'm going to try our best. But, you know, I don't know what the future holds for you. But in, in dentistry, it's like, I will fix everything. I will make it perfect. And it's this heroic yeah. bullshit that sets us up for failure because TMJ is multifactorial. And you don't, you can never tell someone I can take care of it. If they have terrible teeth and terrible disease and you put a bunch of veneers and crowns on and they don't change their behavior, that beautiful work that you did will be trashed in two, three years. But yet we tell people, oh, this should last 12 years. This should last 15 years. No, they got in this position because they don't give a shit about their teeth. And if you don't change the behavior and you come in and do beautiful work, I don't care how beautiful your work work is, they're going to trash it. And we've got to shift that idea. We've got, that's part of the, you know, that's a whole, that's maybe part two of our podcast, why we set ourselves up for failure in that way. Because patients view it like carpentry, not like a medical procedure. Like, you know, my, you know, if you made the bed properly, it should last for 12 years. And then they go to your local competition and say, and the local competition says, Oh yeah, don't worry. This is, this is bad work. I can do way better. Don't worry. We're just yeah. going to change everything and yep. uh, I'll do a much better job. And then it's just, and then five years later, they meet the third person. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the, uh, for dentists and mental health, that's one of the big things that we're fighting against is firstly against the fact that everything fails and that we have to get used to that. Um, yep. And um, everything has a percentage chance of immediate failure. Uh, and also that as a profession, we need to be more, com- there needs to be more camaraderie within the profession. I don't know if you guys Agreed. read Black Box, Black Box Thinking. Have you read that book by Matthew Syed? No. Yeah, Actually, I, mean, I think he might, be, he might be an English guy, but it's a really interesting book about uh, failure and about what we can learn from the, um, uh, from the, aer- the airplane industry and how anytime there's anything goes wrong, whenever there's a plane crash or anything goes wrong, that, that failure, which is not attributed to any individual, is spread amongst every single um, pilot across the world. And so yeah. every time something goes wrong, they learn from it. Uh, whereas in dentistry and in medicine, whenever anything goes wrong, we're, it's almost inbuilt in us to sort of try and hide the failure. Yeah, of course. Because we're worried that it's going to be blamed on us. And yeah. um, that, that I think if everyone in, if every dentist and medic in the world had the opportunity to read that book, I think 
there will be a lot less sort of castigation yeah. of um, positions about um, things that go wrong that is inevitable in F1. Well, I think, uh, you know, this is the micro, the macro affecting the micro. So the fact that you're here and we're talking openly about it and that there's the barrier of social media so that people are not feeling threatened, they can be open. At least we have the channels to start that dialogue. But uh, it sounds as though we need to do a part two. Uh, Pete, are you down to do a part two with uh, yeah, Dr. Simon yeah. Chard at yeah. a certain point? Yeah, we got a lot to sure. talk about. But um, I want to be respectful of your time and I appreciate that you uh, made the time to talk to us. Um, I've been a big fan of what you've been doing and I appreciate what you're doing and your voice and your message is inspiring, um, not only for the younger generation looking up to you, but for guys like me. Um, and uh, me. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> and Peter. Thanks guys. Appreciate so it. You, you, you have effect on the empath and the alpha male, the William Wallace's and the, uh, <laughs> and the Pee Wee Herman's like me, and by the way, the, the, the William Wallace might've been moderately offensive to Simon because, uh, he fought the English. Remember? Yeah. Uh, yeah I do a great William Wallace. I'll do one time when we're together. <laughs> That's good. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, well, thank you so much for spending time with us, pal. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Okay. Likewise. Take care, everybody. All the best.